0: We're in Psalms 27, and I want to look at the context a little bit. We read the the scripture reading. We're going to look at that verse one more time, but but first I want to establish the context. And it's strange in my mind, in any case, as I look at the context, and then as we look at the verse, they don't seem to come together. They don't seem to be related. In my mind, it's that way anyway. Verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation whom shall I fear? The Lord is everything to me. The Lord is so great. The Lord is so infinite. Whom shall I fear? That's the intent here. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Verse 3 Though a host should encamp against me, though there was to be an army coming after me, my heart shall not fear. Why? Verse 5. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me, he shall set me up upon a rock. Now obviously King David here has all kinds of confidence, he's got all kinds of faith, he's been looking at the Lord, he's been seeing his mightiness... He's been looking at his wisdom. He's been looking at his love. He's been looking at his power. And the more he focuses on God and sees how great he is, the less afraid he can be about the circumstances of life or even if an army is encamped against him. He is not afraid. So the question I need to ask this morning, what is it that gives him that much confidence? Do you have that much confidence? I mean, can you navigate through life? And there's no fear and there's no depression and there's no, how should I say, are you disturbed sometimes? Apparently David wasn't. Now you read some other Psalms, and you'll find that sometimes he was, (laughs) but he had one thing, one place where he could turn to. And if you look at verse four, which, by the way, our title is one thing I desire. Verse four, one thing. How many things? One thing. Did God say two things? Why didn't God say two things? Can it be possible that you could narrow things down to one thing? You know, when Jesus said to Martha, one thing is needful, how many things were needful? When the Apostle Paul said, one thing I do, how many things did he have for a goal in life? One thing. Can can we actually boil things down to one thing? Apparently so. Well, if God does it... you think he means it? Yeah. Well, here's one thing. One thing I have desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, I don't know. When I've been looking at this for a while and thinking, Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful I could just sit in the church all the days of my life. Is that your desire? Sounds pretty boring, doesn't it? I mean, what kind of building could you sit in and be impressed with it so long that you would like to stay there all the days of your life? I don't care if it was a cathedral. I mean, St. Peter's Basilica, now that's an impressive building. I've been there, and there's a lot of things to look at, and a lot of things are awesome in there. But I tell you what, how long do you think I could sit there and not get bored? So what in the world is apost—I mean, King David saying here? One thing I have desired of the Lord, to sit in the temple all the days of my life. It hardly makes sense, humanly speaking, that we could sit in a building and be content to sit there. Ah, but friends, we have to realize what King David is saying here. He's not thinking of a building. He's thinking of the sanctuary of the Lord. He, and if you go back to the... Wilderness sanctuary, you know that everything in there represents Jesus. Isn't that right? He's thinking of heaven. He's thinking of something more than that. The plan of, of uh, salvation is infinite. God is infinite. Jesus is infinite. The resurrection of the Lord is infinite. Resurrecting from the second death. All of these things. These are the things that he's meditating on. And, he's, and he is seeing in these things the beauty of the Lord. Okay, I'll have you turn now to Job chapter 11. Job chapter 11. Have you ever tried to wrap your mind around God? Have you ever tried to think in terms of eternity past? I mean, we can think of eternity future because we can say, well, I'm alive today and I'll just keep living and living and living forever and ever. And we can kind of understand that. But what about eternity past? When you think of God that he's lived forever and ever and ever and ever, how far away is that? How long ago is it? Can you even conceive of this thing? When you think about the size of the universe, I was listening to PRI radio the other last week, and they were saying there that this earth weighs sextillion tons. Now, I don't know what sextillion tons is. It sounds heavy anyway, right? But you get these astronomers and they show you slides and they'll take a picture of Betelgeuse and they'll compare it to the Earth and what's the Earth look like? Well, it's a speck in the universe. It isn't anything. It's a speck of dust, right? And yet it weighs sextillion tons. Can you wrap your mind around stuff like that? I can't. I really, really can't. These are huge, infinite, big ideas. Isn't that right? And this is what the uh, King David was saying. He wanted to sit in the temple of the Lord to, to behold the beauty of the Lord. And as he saw what he could see in the temple, letting his mind grow, letting his mind see, it was bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. We're in Job chapter 11. And Zophar, which was one of Job's antagonists, Spoke the truth in verse 7. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? What's the implied answer here? No, no you can't. It is as high as, as heaven. What can you do? It's deeper than hell. What can you know? You can't. It's bigger than we are. Last week one of my therapists showed me or gave me a paper which was a scientific study the scientific study was by a man named mark uh, i don't even know what his name is mark waldman i think it was yeah well, my notes got mixed up but i can't find them hmm. anyway oh here he is mark waldman He's an associate fellow at the Center for Spirituality and the Mind in the University of Pennsylvania. His research is on the effect of meditating on big ideas. That's what it is. And he co-authored a book, and the book title was How God Changes the Brain. Now, what's interesting about Mark Waldman is that he does not believe in God. No, he doesn't. He's an atheist. But he sees that the idea of God is big. And so he studies... People who believe, well, no, not so much people who believe in God. He studies the idea of God rather than God the person. You understand? And he begins this way. I think it is a perfect day to change the world, and I'm going to begin with God. Yes, God. God? Oh, God. No matter how you think about it, God is going to change your brain. Why? Because God is a big idea. That's what he says. Now, the point here is that meditating on something bigger than yourself, meditating on a big thought, you begin to align yourself with that thought. You align your dreams, you align your goals, you align your vision, you align your life. It becomes your inner and your outer reality, is what he was saying. Now, he also said that when you meditate on a big idea... That it stimulates your brain. And if your brain is stimulated, then it extends, it gives you health. And if it gives you health, it extends your life. So it's a positive thing. And it's healthy to meditate on big ideas. He also says that if you think on a negative idea, it's destructive. Let me read it to you. Negative idea creates neurochemicals that actually destroy the limbic system. The more you grumble, the more you complain, the more frustrated you are, the more you destroy yourself. Thinking on negative ideas. Now watch. Still reading. This is the scientist speaking. If I put you in an fMRI machine and show one negative idea for less than one second, okay... One negative idea for less than one second, it will release more stress neurochemicals that can possibly be good for your body or your brain. Now, what's interesting to me is the opposite. On the other hand, if you see a positive word, hardly anything happens. Why? Because it does not threaten your survival. Now, he posits that you have to meditate on a good idea longer than you Meditate on a bad idea. You can meditate on a negative idea for less than one second and you will release neurochemicals that will start and begin to destroy you. But if you want the positive effect of it, you have to meditate on a good idea a longer time. And so he says, if you meditate on, a, on your big idea for 45 to 50 minutes, essentially one hour... A most unusual thing happens. Your parietal lobe activity goes down. Now watch. You actually disappear. You disappear. You're losing your ego. And all that remains is your big idea. And it becomes your inner and outer reality. And so this explains to me what happened to the Apostle Paul when he said, I die daily. Every day, the Apostle Paul would disappear as far as he was concerned. He would lose himself, that is, he lost his ego every day. And that's why the Apostle Paul could, and the reason is, is that the Apostle Paul would meditate on the Lord. What do you think he was meditating on? Until God was all and in all. And this is what King David found as his secret. The beauty of the Lord was everything to him. He spent a lot of time, even when he was a a shepherd boy, he was a herd boy, out there with the sheep, his attention, his mind was always on God so that he could write poetry and he could sing. And his mind was taken up by the infinity of God. And because he was... Taken up by it because this is where he meditated. He became more and more and more like God. And he became like somebody that God could bless. A man by the name of Robert Foster wrote this. When we make ourselves more than nothing, we make God less than everything. And if God is less than everything, he's not big enough. We heard last night, uh, Pastor Grabner shared with us Testimonies to Ministers 456, although he, he had a different reference. What is justification by faith? It is the work of God. Whose work is it? Yeah. God has to do two things. He has to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, we would like God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, wouldn't we? Oh, yes. But he can't do it unless he does the other thing, which is to lay the glory of God in the dust. And if you would like to have your glory laid in the dust, spend some time meditating on an idea bigger than yourself. God. Is he bigger than you? Oh, yeah. How much bigger? (laughs) I often tell the story of Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was in a concentration camp. He was a Jewish man. He was in a concentration camp for four years. While he was there, he saw different people coming into the concentration camp. Some were big and burly, and some were fragile. They were weak. They were frail. And he thought in his mind that the big burly guys would last longer than the frail guys. But as it turned out, it wasn't always that way. And some of these frail guys lived through the concentration camp while some of these big burly guys died. And so he had to come to grips with this idea. Why was it that being strong was not the, was not the thing that kept the people alive? And he came to realize that those who lived were those who had a reason to live. They had meaning in life. By the way, Re- Viktor Frankl wrote a book, Man's Search for Meaning. Some of you, I'm sure, have read it. It's a very popular book. Anyway, it's a very good book and I recommend it. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. He became a psychiatrist and, and his whole direction as a psychiatrist was to lead people to find meaning in life so that they would have a reason to live and be healthy in, in their lives, you see. Now, this was a big idea, wasn't it? Yes. And Viktor Frankl became famous. Viktor Frankl became rich. Viktor Frankl did a good thing. He helped a lot of people in life. But did he have the biggest idea? Was this the biggest idea in the universe? No, it was a great idea. There's a lot of people in this world that have big ideas. There's a lot of people accomplishing all kinds of things because they're focused. They know where they're going. They're looking at something bigger than themselves and it drives them. It becomes their inner and their outer reality and they accomplish great things in this world, right? Ah, but friends, it isn't the biggest idea in the world. It isn't the most important idea in the world. When Jesus was down here in this world, did he? where do you suppose he focused? How much time did he waste on which gladiator take, took gold home from the Winter Olympics? Do you think? How much time did he waste thinking about the entertainment that stimulated his emotions the most? Did he try to make a name for himself? Did he try to make wealth for himself? Was his life focused on having fun or filling his face with food or overthrowing governments or whatever it might be? None of it. Jesus' whole life was focused on his Father. And every day he meditated on God. It became everything to him. And so all that he wanted to do as he lived his life was to reveal God to the people with whom he had anything to do and to save souls. His whole life was focused right there. What do you suppose that he would want for you and I? What do you think? Yeah. He wants the same thing. Is there anything in this world more important than that, do you think? There isn't anything in this world more important than that. Why is it that as human beings, we get so attracted to all kinds of stuff out there? And we put so much importance on whatever. (laughs) Turn with me to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Viktor Frankl said, do not aim at success, because if you aim at success, you'll never find success. It must ensue. You cannot pursue it. To ensue is to have it come from some other cause. He said what you have to do is dedicate your life to something bigger than yourself or dedicate your life to someone other than yourself if you want to find any kind of success in this world. Well, that's a fine formula. It's a wonderful formula in this world. You want to succeed? Forget yourself. Get a cause that's bigger than yourself and dedicate yourself to it and you're likelier to succeed than not. Ah, but friends, listen, don't we have something bigger than that even? We're in Matthew chapter 6, and if, if I was smart, I would have turned there. Matthew chapter 6, we're looking at verse 33. I know it by heart anyway. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God, that is, to enlarge it. It means more than that, though. Doesn't it? Oh, yeah. The kingdom of God is everything to align our lives with the kingdom of God and the way things are done in heaven isn't the prayer uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness his character in your lives and what will happen all these things shall be added unto you your life will will be controlled your life will be given direction and it will succeed in the end there's no doubt about it and everything you need will be added unto you as a matter of fact Jesus is here contrasting this principle that he's giving us he's contrasting it to where to of what the gentiles are looking at if you look at verse 31 Jesus says Therefore, take no thought. In other words, don't worry or don't spend any thought energy. Don't meditate on these things. Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? What in the world? In verse 32, it says, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. Who are the Gentiles? Well, it's just another word for godless or ungodly. It's people who don't have God. Well, if people in this world don't have a God, what do they have? Well, all they have is what this world has to offer, right? And so they focus on what they're going to eat and what they're going to wear and what they're going to drink and what they're going to drive and how much money they're going to make, and what kind of house they're living in and their career and, and getting married and on and on and on because these are the things of this world. But what's amazing here in verse 32, it says, Your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Does He know? Implied in in these words is that God will give you these things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added unto uh, unto you. You need clothing, you need food, you need drink, you need car, you need money, you need a house... He will supply it. He's promised to give it to to you. But the beauty of the whole thing is that he says, don't waste your thought energy there. It's a waste of time. There are some things that are far, far more important. And there are people in the scriptures that have realized this thing. It's amazing. I mean, King David, one thing I have desired. One thing. It wasn't all kinds of things. And Jesus said, one thing is needful. Not all kinds of things. If only we would focus where we're supposed to focus, on ideas that are much bigger than we are. Waldman, we're going back to our scientists now, said, if you meditate on your big idea for years, all the days of my life, King David said. Almost doesn't make sense. But that's what he wanted to do. And so the scientist said, if you do that for years, watch, they studied this thing. He says, we can actually see change beginning to happen in the first eight weeks of, in our studies. Your thalamus permanently changes its structure. You actually cannot see reality the same as before you meditated. In other words, your reality changes if you will take the time to meditate for one hour every day. I'm not talking about New Age meditation either. We're talking about filling your mind, not emptying it. And filling your mind with something which is infinitely greater than you are in order for the change to occur. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. Everybody knows what that says. We're going to go there because it makes sense in the in the light of what we're studying this morning 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 for we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are what changed, changed. Into the same image, from glory to glory, from character to character, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We want to be more like Christ. Here it says how we can be more like Christ. Yeah, by beholding. And so that's what King David said. One thing I have desired, that I might behold the beauty of the Lord. Yeah. What for? For a change in the life. In volume 8 of the testimonies, we're looking at um, volume 8, 322, paragraph 3. Watch this. Truth is so large, so far-reaching, so deep, so broad, that self is lost sight of. Now, that has been scientifically verified. Spend an hour in each day with a truth that is infinite so large, so deep, so broad, so all-encompassing, that it will change you. It's a blessing to me, in any case, that science can verify it. Uh, You know we've done that all our lives. As Seventh-day Adventists, we've known to spend a thoughtful hour each day, haven't we? Yeah, now we know why. I'm being told to cut it off. I will in 20 minutes or so. I'm coming. (laughs) Yeah. Education 185, in his youth, the early morning and evening twilight often found him alone on the mountainside or among the trees of the forest, spending a thought, a quiet hour in prayer and the study of God's word. Why an hour? Well, I don't know. But now we know. Jesus came to the apostles and said, Peter, could you not watch with me how long? one hour. Desire of Ages, 83. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of a big idea, something infinitely greater than we are, right? The life of Christ, especially the closing scenes. Now watch what she says after that, which is is something we don't read or, or quote very often. She says, our confidence in him would be more constant. Our love would be quickened and we would we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. Well, I'm told I have to quit. Let's look at two Bible verses, and we're going to quit right there. Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7. How many things do you do in a day that you would consider to be supernatural? How many things have you accomplished in your life that you would deem to be supernatural? How many things in your life do you do that an atheist couldn't do? Even if he only did it mechanically. Now, I'm not saying God hasn't worked in your life and performed miracles. I'm sure he has. Yeah, but how often does that happen? In... um, Faith and Works, page 27. It says, divine power and the human agency combined will be a complete success because Christ's righteousness accomplishes everything. What is it that accomplishes everything? Christ's righteousness. righteousness. The reason so many fail, they lay aside the supernatural power and fail to do a supernatural work. They are all the time depending on their own and their brethren's human power. Do you know why we do that? because we extol, because we view humanity as too great. We look at ourselves in the mirror. I don't know what you find looking in the mirror, but I'm not that impressed (laughs) looking in the mirror. We look at people and they accomplish great things and we lift them up. Sports stars and, and rock and roll stars and all kinds of People out there we look up to and give them a great name. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're going to stop with two Bible passages. This is God speaking about David. Now therefore, so shalt thou say to my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts. This is verse 8, 2 Samuel 7, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheepcote, from following the sheep to be a ruler over my people, over Israel. And I was with you, whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight. And watch, I have made thee a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. David was a shepherd, a herd boy. I spent years in Lesotho and the hills were full of herd boys and the herd boys were nobody. In Lesotho, the women grow to be the leaders in the country because they send these little boys to herd sheep when they're five years old and they stay up there on the mountains with their sheep and their cattle all the time. They send the girls to school. Yeah, This is who David was. He was a shepherd. He was a herd boy. Yeah. Ah, But he had a he had fixed his eyes on something far greater than himself, until he had lost sight of himself, and then he could dedicate his life to something other than himself. And he had a name like all the great men in the world. One more Bible passage: Second Samuel chapter twenty-two. 2 Samuel chapter twenty-two. We're looking at verse thirty to thirty-six. For by thee. David speaking, "'For by thee I have run through a troop. By my God I have leaped over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord, and who is a rock save our God? God is my strength and power, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like hind's feet, and sets me upon the high places.'" He teaches my hands to war so that the bow of steel is broken by mine arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness has made me great. Do you long to be great? Well, you'll never achieve greatness by longing for it. You'll never achieve greatness by pursuing it. There's only one hope of a Christian, of achieving greatness, and that's by forgetting himself, herself. It's by losing sight of ourselves altogether and dedicating ourselves to something greater than ourselves. One thing I have desired, to behold the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life. This media was brought to you by Audioverse